want to read a scripture to you to set this morning up. We may go a little bit longer, obviously. We're just basking. It's the second service. No one's coming in behind us. So uh, we'll try and keep to it. We'll see how we go. From 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. If you have your Bibles, uh, otherwise it'll be behind me on the screen. I'd just like to welcome all of our guests and visitors once again. Um, uh, we are just currently surrendering. Pastor Gary and all the, the tribe that have come down from Toowoomba, welcome. And uh, can we give our visitors a round of applause? The Lord laid this scripture on my heart in a segue, a transition, but keeping with the theme of last week, we spoke about the importance as a community who are Presence Church, not just being a church that has a good label, new branding, a nice new playground going in on the... Uh, but actually a, a, a church as individuals, part of this community, um, who are individually walking in awareness of the proximity of the presence of God. In, in other words, let me say it again, we're aware that the presence of God is with us, and, and a translation for the presence that we spoke about last week is proximity of His face. So more than just going about our day-to-day -day life, perhaps like Bell spoke just before and talking about God, but actually knowing that He is right here with us and being more direct and more aware of the relationship that He has with us, but also that we can actually have to Him. I, I want to speak around this and just highlight something I felt is important coming out of uh, the season that we've just come through, going into 2021, even Christmas. And essentially, I want to speak underneath the title or the banner of Stronger. If I were to break my own rule and give you an insight into what I want to talk about today, is I feel like God is saying we need to remember who we are. And not just who we are, whose we are. What name do we carry? What badge do we carry as ambassadors, as sons and daughters of God? Here's the scripture. It says here, Paul is writing to 2 Corinthians, his second letter, he says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma and the knowledge and manifests through us the sweet aroma and the knowledge of him in every place. I've probably read this maybe 30 or 40 times as I've been reading scripture and just really quickly skipped over it. But this week, it came alive to me in a greater way. Paul is writing about what it is to be someone that walks with the branding, the identity, filled with the Spirit of God. Essentially, he says here, he says, triumphant in Christ. So we know that Jesus is the center. Jesus is our language. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Everything we do in here is for, through, and in Jesus. Amen? So what he says here, it's interesting. He says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. And now this is the part I've kind of just skipped over because we can think, yeah, cool, God's leading me and I'm triumphant, I'm more than a conqueror, I'm the head and not the tail. But there's actually more depth to what Paul is writing. He writes here, he uses this word always, which is pantote in the Greek, and it's at all times, in every way and in every place. So it's not just, just always, it's at all times. There's no differing, there's no wavering. You will be victorious as you are led by Christ. But then he uses this other word, triumph. Triumph, even in the English language, I think is watered down, but this word specifically is used. I'm not going to try and translate the Greek because I'll mess it up. But what this word triumph actually translates to or is, is a very special word used only to describe triumphal parade, a triumphal parade or a triumphant entry of honor to celebrate a military commander who is victoriously returning home from battle. 
let me give you the picture if you don't understand what I'm saying. Uh, a military commander returning home from battle. Military commanders in the time, the day, and the age that Paul was writing to the Corinthian church uh, were actually sent out specifically around the theme of Rome or from Rome. The military commander would be the ambassador, the person that was appointed, anointed, and given authority by the king or the ruler or Caesar or whoever it was at the time. But what Paul is actually saying to the Corinthian church, you have to understand that you have a triumphant man mandate on you. You have a name that has been appointed and anointed by Jesus Christ. You have the authority walking with the Holy Spirit. See, what he says here is he says, uh, and giving you the picture word, he says that the triumphant entry looks like when a conquering uh, leader has come back from taking out the enemy. He walks into the city, but there's a procession. First of all, he takes the enemy, the opposition, the leader usually comes first, bound in chains and chains around his legs. And everyone in the city comes out to celebrate the victory that the city or the people have just had. The next thing that happens is all of the troops, just all of the laymen, all of the, uh, the understudies, if you will, they come in, the armor bearers. And then the next thing that comes into the city as more and more people are gathering is the, 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 the spoils of war. So, so gold and silver and the chariots and the animals and, and all of the fine horses and the slaves and everything else that comes. And then lastly, it talks about in this, this, this narrative, uh, this person who is the conqueror, who is the appointed one by Caesar or by the king comes in and he comes in with horses that look like they're on steroids and he comes in, that was a joke, they didn't have them, I don't think back then, natural, um, <laughs> they ran a lot and, and, and they had a chariot and he would be there on the chariot coming in and so what Paul is saying to the church of Corinth at the time when he says, all, you are always led into triumph in Christ, it is when we go into battle, when we go into our day-to-day -day lives, we have an authority and appointment upon us to actually go and plunder from the enemy's camp and come back and be victorious in everything that we do. Why is it important? Well, first of all, we have to remember that it's always done in and through Christ, or maybe even aware of the proximity of the face of God with us. And can I put to you today that it's interesting because what this scripture and what this is talking about is actually being aware of who you are, that when you go through your day-to-day -day life, you live victorious in the fullness of everything that Christ died to achieve for us so that we can walk from victory to victory. What I felt to encourage you this morning is there is actually an opposition that's coming against us. In fact, we don't have to be naive to the season that we've just been through what's going on in America and everything else that's going on all around the planet. And if I'm being honest with you, I believe it's all an attempt to steal the identities and the names and who we are in Christ and just who we are as victorious dwellers of kingdom people here on earth. I want to show you something. See, see here's the deal. It's not just something new that right now there's an attack and assignment to steal people's identities with depression and cancer and sickness and, and all the things that are going on. It's actually something that's been going on throughout the entirety of history. I believe that the ramping of the attack has just gotten a little bit more full on because we're drawing closer and closer to the day where the devil is going to be arriving at his end fate. Thank you, Claire. 
I want to read you a scripture and bring back some context. We spoke about this about two years ago, transformations. We had this about two weeks ago, but hopefully I can make it interesting for you. In Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, hear this. In the third year of the reign of King Joachim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Joachim, the king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the house of his God. The king instructed Aspenath, which was his, his next in charge, is the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, the young men in whom there was no blemish, that were good-looking like Pastor Kent, with all wisdom, possessing all knowledge, and maybe me and Trip, and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, who might, they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of wine which they could drink. He drank, and three years of training for them. So at the end of this time, that they might serve before the king. And now to among them, this is the key part this morning. Now to among them, or from among them, the sons of Judah were, we know, Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. But here, what happened here in this moment, they'd taken them, they'd brought them into the kingdom. They wanted to transition their culture into the culture of the Babylonian culture. And the first thing they did is they actually changed their name. They started to speak a new identity over them. They started to give them a label. And it's interesting because it says here that uh, they gave the name Daniel Belshazzar to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Bendigo. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies. In other words, he decided that he wouldn't enter into the culture of what was around him. Even though it was the foremost, it was right in front of him, it was an option to stay alive and be in the kingdom and obtain great wealth and all the things, Daniel purposed in his heart that he was going to be different, that he was going to stick to his original culture, his original heritage. Can I put to you today, even before we move further, Daniel decided that he would stick to kingdom culture, that, that he decided he wouldn't allow something else to come in that may even deteriorate his awareness of the proximity of the face or the presence of the person of God. Scripture goes on and it says, nor with wine, he wouldn't drink the wine, therefore he requested to the chief of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. The scripture goes on and most of you would know that Daniel was given a portion of time and the eunuch Aspenaz said, uh, I'm paraphrasing that, hey man, I, I can't really do this, but, but, but look, I'll give you a couple of days. He had favor, the Lord granted him favor with him. And he said, if after 10 days you, you guys are like good, you're not falling over, you're not passing out, any of that sort of stuff, uh, I'll, I'll look after you. And here's the deal I probably feel like I should tell you right from the get-go, is the good news is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or should I say Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, because they decided to purpose to stay close and intimate with the things of their original kingdom culture, if you will, they actually came out stronger on the other end. The Bible tells us, I'm giving away the end of the story, but the Bible says they actually were 10 times, or they were multiple times smarter, better looking like Pastor Ken, and they had the ability to move forward in what they were doing. God blessed them because they determined not to obtain or come under the banner of the names that the culture was putting on them. 
It's something that we face today, the media, you only have to watch the social report, whatever it is on Netflix, you only have to look at social media, you only have to listen to what the doctor's report is, you only have to hear what's going on on the news, where so easily we can adopt a branding that isn't actually our own. Yes, we are in the world, we're in the world, but not of the world. And so it's so important that we understand whose we are. It was customary to change the captives' names as a sign of ownership. To get straight to the point, the Babylonian names weren't simply just different names. They were names that were meant to obliterate the Israelites' identity and bring them into a pagan culture. It's said that they were mockery to the Jewish heritage. What they were doing was turning the truth inside out. They were idolatrous names. In Daniel's day, The attack that came on identity came through tribal conquest, overthrowing them and assimilation, bringing them into their culture. Has anyone ever felt in this day and age like you're getting drawn into the culture, getting drawn into having to have a say on something or maybe not saying anything at all? See, the method may look different, but the heart is still the same. There's a very real attempt to steal away your identity, your brand, you're knowing, excuse me, of who you are in Christ. Because he knows if he can get distance between your awareness of the proximity of the face or the person or the presence of God, he can open a door and start to lead you out. I want to take this even further. For Daniel, he gave, Daniel, excuse me, means the name, God is my judge. But what they did is they transitioned his name to Belshazzar, which means lady protect the king. Hear this. In doing so, they shifted the focus from God to human. With his new name, Daniel's identity is now changed from a man accountable by an all-powerful God to that of a woman who must protect her king. In their culture, this was a terrible insult. The meaning of Daniel's new name is now the opposite to his former Hebrew name. You think that's bad? Listen to this. From Hanani which means Yahweh has been gracious to Shadrach. I'm fearful of God. The Babylonians inverted the focus from God being good to God being bad. Instead of viewing him as gracious, kind, loving, which was all implied in the name of Hanani, he would have grown up, he would have had that prophetic declaration, that understanding that in the culture of Israel, this is who I am. But what they did is they changed the name. And what they tried to do with this is they tried to, Transition his name with doing this, the new name echoed a kind of fear that one would have standing in front of a maniac, a monster, a God who was actually scary. Flipped it around, tried to invert, tried to come against. From Michelle, who can compare to my God? No one is what his name meant. To Meshach, I am despised and contendable and humiliated. Once again, the Babylonians chose the name that subverted the goodness of God in in relationship to him. It shifted the focus from our confidence in God to being cowardice. Last one from Azariah, which means Yahweh has helped, to Abednego, which means a servant of Nebo. He went from being a son or a heir of Yahweh, a term of endearment for the living God, to being a slave to another man. We have a list that's going to come up of just some of the names that we have put on us. This is just me thinking of just some of the, the things that we can carry around with us. See, we might think, hey, I know my name, and I named my boy Hunter, or I think Chrissy might have chosen Hunter. I got justice. But Hunter is in pursuit of, uh, sometimes I 
wish we didn't call him that, because uh, he just keeps going and going and going and going. Uh, but justice, my dad called me Justin, wanting to call me justice, so I think he's kind of segued in the middle. Justice means a righteous man, an upright devout, but I named Hunter Justice because Titus Justice was a worshiper of God. See, there's power in your name. So I'm not talking about, hey, uh, my name's been changed. No, no, the moment that you've received Christ as your savior, savior and you're covered by the blood of Jesus, even when you're baptized by the Holy Spirit, you actually then walk as a son of God. And we'll get to those names in a minute. But these are some of the names that culture puts on us. Hey, you've got no friends. You're challenged. I've been called that. You're lonely. You're lost. You're different. Hey, you're sick, man. You are so sick. Insecure, depression. Some of us feel like we're ugly. Some of us think we're fat. Some of us feel awkward, a number, isolated. And here's the deal. If you focus too much on these names, they can actually steal you away and even open a door that you walk closer and closer to what the meaning of the name is rather than your true identity and who you are in Christ. Now, there's absolutely an alternative to counseling and therapy and different things like that, pastoral care, which I totally advocate. But I want to give you a few things this morning that will actually help you to move forward in just the same way that Daniel did. Because remember the end of the story, although it sounds pretty heavy right now, Daniel came out stronger. And he went from strength to strength to strength because he was aware that something was coming to try and steal his focus and his identity from kingdom culture. See, when you unveil something and you expose something, it actually gives you the right to walk against that thing. So this morning, I just feel like God is doing that for some people. The truth is that God desires, first and foremost, that we maintain Him as our first love. You know the mandate, the call, love God and love other people. It's interesting, I was listening to just the book of Revelation, audio book, and as he was going through the seven churches and, and, and the issues there, the number one reason that the church was going to have its lampstand or candlestand snuffed out is because they stepped away from or they lost their first love. Could I put to you today that by obtaining and walking into names that aren't ours and identities that aren't ours and cultures that aren't ours and beliefs that aren't ours and maybe even partnering with ideas just because we don't want to look like the awkward one in the room or wherever it may be, what we do is we actually obtain a name. But your name is son of God. Your name is grafted into the kingdom. You're the head and not the tail. You're more than a conqueror. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Come on, you have a name uh, that has been named. You've been grafted into the kingdom of God uh, for the God who created the heavens and the earth. Daniel, the first thing that I see Daniel did is he lived from home. See, Daniel was in another culture. He'd been assimilated in. He'd been drawn in, but Daniel purposed in his heart. He wasn't going to be rude about it. He wasn't going to be obnoxious. He wasn't going to be arrogant or prideful, but he took a humble approach and decided to choose purity and to not obtain or take off the things of the other culture. You can read through the rest of the book of Daniel and see where Daniel actually put further boundaries up, which implied that he could have died where God intervened. And I want to tell you right now, I feel like the Spirit of God is saying for someone that today is the day to stand up against the name that you have implied, that you have uh, grafted, you, that you have adopted. And God would say that the, the, the pain, the trauma, the torment that you feel will come from stepping away from the friends, the people, the association, the business deals. God says, I will cut that off. And as the lions were in the den, you will not be eaten. So as we move forward, Daniel separates himself from the king's table, the culture, but he was gracious in that. I, I want to read you a scripture, please don't get too offended right now, but let me speak it out. 
In James 4, verse 4 and 6, the scripture says this, James is writing, you adulterous people, and don't you know that friendship is with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. You have to hear this because I think sometimes even I've read this and I'm like, whoa, adulterous people, that's full on, James. But what James was actually saying, adulterous is a metaphor for the term in the Old Testament for those who break their vows to love and to serve God and to follow idols instead. An illicit affair with worldliness results in estrangement or separation and even hostility with God. Jack Hayford said in relation to this in comments, he said, Nevertheless, God will receive an adulterous person when he returns in humility, submitting to God and not to the devil. In other words, even if we've adopted these things and we've gone as far left as you can go, all right, that's probably not the terms you want to use right now, but as you've gone whatever those ways that you can, what James is saying, and it's coming straight through the Spirit of God, it's a prophetic declaration that if you would just choose to repent and turn back to him and turn away from your ways, that God will receive you, accept you, brand you again. So what does the world mean? What does, what does adulterous people, you know that friendship with the world, I love what my Bible tells me. The spirit of the world or world is one of the enemies of a believer. World refers to the world system, to its values, to its mindsets, to its philosophies, 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 <coughs> of life and priorities that run contrary to the will of God. So how do I know if I'm living from home? Say it every week, but we read the Word. See, I know like as Christians, we're like, hey, that's, that's just such a given. But like I said last week, and I think it just it dawned on me, the more and more I've thought about it. It's revival on Sunday, lost Bible on Monday. But I believe at Presence Church, the culture is different, that we are people that get into the Word of God. Talking to a friend the other night, he said, man, we just struggled. We've got the kids. I understand, three kids and a baby on the way, and doing so many things. It's hard sometimes to just get into the Word of God. Usually, every time I open the Bible, either a kid comes, a nappy comes, or something else comes. But here's the deal. As Christians, this needs to be our foundation. This needs to be home base. This needs to be everything that we do. We have the advantage as we read the Word of God, as we're spirit-filled, that the Word of God comes alive. It's not just books on a page. If I were to give you a sub-point off of that, new one for all my transformation friends, you've got to keep your eyes on the prize. I don't even know where I heard this before. It's, I guess it's just a generalized statement. Keep your eyes on the prize. Daniel was in a culture where he was filled with wine and grapes and probably amazing pizzas and steaks and all that stuff. And he said, hey, I don't want that. I'm like going to go vegan or vegetarian for a little while. I'm just going to pursue God. See, I think part of Daniel's process was the ability to be in the presence of another culture, but to keep his eyes on God. And so I would put to you today, and I, I'm like I'm speaking to a mirror right now, so hear me. What are we looking at? Is what you're looking at in your day-to-day -day life, I felt the room just shift in, is what you're looking at in your day-to-day -day life reflecting a culture of living from home? 
living a kingdom culture lifestyle. But here's the, the good news. If right now you're struggling with what you're looking at, if you're struggling with going in a different direction, the good news is that repentance or it's just a matter of just turning around saying, God, I'm sorry. I'm aware that I did that. I need your help to move forward closer to you. David said these words, I believe David in Psalms 101 verse 3, I will set no worthless or wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the practice of those who fall away from the right path. It will not grasp hold of me. The eye is the lamp of the body, Matthew 6, Jesus was saying, verse 22 to 23. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of, excuse me, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, then how great is that darkness? I wrote here a note praying through this this morning. What was the one thing that caused Peter to start to stink, sink? Peter, John, when he stepped off the boat, that dude, thank you, pastor. He took his eyes off Jesus. But the moment that he became aware that he was sinking, Jesus reached out his hand and everything was okay. I want to tell you today, Jesus is reaching out his hand to us. No matter what the struggle is, God's always fighting. He's always advocating for us. Because here's the deal, that God is closer than the air that we breathe. His proximity of His face is right there. Even if we've steered away and with this distance, it's not because of God. And all He wants us to do is just reach out our hand or just turn. Because He's a God of love. I will never leave you nor forsake you, He says. Purity advances intimacy. Gifts will come and they come thanks to Jesus. But purity is a priority. I said this morning, I, I think any good pastor who pastors a church on such a beautiful coastline where it's about to get so ridiculously hot will all want to be in air conditioning. We're changing seasons, and this isn't just for the men, this is for the ladies too. We have to be aware, and I see it, I feel it in the atmosphere when I come into work here every day. People that live in the buildings, you would feel it. It's not just because schoolies is coming at the end of the year. This is a crazy time of the year where it's like there is a lustful spirit that rises up. Call it territorial, call it whatever you want, but I want to tell you, we have to be people that guard our eyes. You know, you might laugh at me, but as a 25-year-old coming from New Zealand, having no concept what the idea of even lust meant, I thought that was normal. To then getting in trouble, Ari booked me for lusting week four or two of transformations. To then learning that any longer than three seconds is... Is, is a consequence in transformations culture. <laughs> and that we had to bounce our eyes. And even in Valiant Man, I think Pastor Steve gave me a rubber band and said, just use this every time that you feel like, 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 come on. But sometimes we actually need to use practical tools. I'm just being very honest and transparent with you as your pastor. I'm just saying that right now we're going into a season that we need to guard our eyes and live from home. The last thought that I have for you, and I shared this just recently, is we have to have our fight stance ready. We have to be ready to fight. See, Daniel was absorbed into this culture with, with his brothers. And as they were absorbed into the culture, they didn't just uh, like bow down. They weren't just like, like people pleasing. But there was something about their nature and their culture that tells me that they, that, that they weren't just going to blow over easy. And we can see that in the fact that they came out stronger. But they had their fight stance. See, fight stance, and we've, we've shared this before. I had young David Corinna uh, up here. And, and, and I can be standing here, and you can come, and you can push me. My two-year-old, she does it all the time. Uh, and my three-year-old, five-year-old, and my seven-year-old. Uh, 
They just push me around all the time. Focus. But here's the deal, like, 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 like if I'm focused and I'm balanced, like I've got more of a chance. And we shared this before, but the true fight stance of a Christian is down on hands and knees praying. See, if you have a lifestyle of prayer, of intimacy with the person, the presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, then when you step out of your closet into the culture, you won't be easily swayed. You won't be easily pushed. You won't be easily moved. The Bible says this in Romans 8, 26. I think I'm going to come back next week and we're going to preach about praying in the Spirit, praying in the Holy Ghost. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness when we do not know what we ought to pray. But He, the Spirit Himself, intercedes through wordless groans. Almost done. Acts 2, 4 says that at the time when they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. See what happened is the Holy Spirit poured out, but there was a receiving and there was a partnership. There was an activation that took place. And I feel now more than ever, we need to be a people that pray in the Holy Ghost. We lift up our heavenly language, whether it's in the car, whether it's in church, whether it's going around. I understand the context of Corinthians that says, hey, be careful of the unbeliever. You don't want to put them off. I, I get that. And we have to be mindful of that. We'll talk about that. But I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, if you're spirit-filled sons and daughters of God and you pray in the Holy Ghost, you need to pray now like you've never prayed before. Because when we pray, we do not know what we're praying, but we're interceding and we're lifting up glory to God when we do it. The last thing I feel to say, and I'm going to say it, is everything worthwhile is uphill. Everything is anything. It's all-inclusive, worthwhile in the life of a Christian believer son and daughter of God, desirable, appropriate, good for you, attractive, beneficial. Uh, I shared this with you before. John Maxwell said, no one has ever climbed to the mountain of success, has made a lot of money or achieved in their life. And when asked, they said, I've got no idea how I got here. I just woke up and I was here. No, it takes a deliberate choice. Everything worthwhile is uphill. Daniel fought the uphill battle in the natural and God showed up in the supernatural. Is that the F-45 again? I'm like fifth time round for three years back at F-45 because it's the only thing I do where they push me and I lose weight and cardio and I love it anyway, but it's awesome. And I'm lying on the ground like this after my first session. That was like a dying fish. I'm lying on the ground and I'm like, like, like whatever they said. Usually at the end of the training, they say, everyone run out the driveway. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm like, try not to look ugly. I'm like dying on the ground. This girl comes over. She's got the Olympic swimming thing. She's like Olympian swimmer. I'm like, oh my gosh. I look there. She's like, how do you feel? And I'm like, man, I feel like I'm dying. She said to me, you know, pain's good because it lets you know you're still alive and you can get better. And I was just thinking, man, thank you very much. You get away from me, you Olympic swimmer. (laughs) Hey, would you stand with me this morning? We're going to finish. See, the reason the heartbeat behind this, I feel like God just wants everyone in this room to know that He is for you and He is not against you. That His desire is for you, that you would walk in potential, passion, purpose, and that you would influence the culture and community that you walk in. And every one of us should be aware that we can do that. But thanks be to God who always leads us into triumph and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. In other words, when we're walking triumphant in Christ, we affect and infect the environment around us through Him. 
for anyone in this room who right now is feeling like, man, I'm not strong. I want to tell you a couple of things. This is what some scriptures say that I've drawn from that say that you have access, you have in Christ, you have access to the Father, you have a home in heaven waiting for you, you have all things in Christ, you have a hope, a living hope, you have an anchor to the soul, you have a sure this context drawing up, authority to tread on a serpent. You have power to witness. You have a tongue uh, of the learned. You have the mind of Christ. You have boldness and access. You have peace in God. You have faith the size of a grain of a mustard seed, and it will move a mountain. Who are you? Who am I in God? Uh, I am God's possession. I am his child. I am his workmanship. I am his friend. I am his temple. I am his vessel. I'm his co-laborer. I'm his witness. I'm his soldier. I'm his ambassador. I'm his building. I'm his husbandry. I'm his minister. I'm an instrument of God. I am chosen. I am beloved. I am precious. I am the heritage. I have been redeemed by the blood. I have been set free from condemnation. I've been set free from Satan's kingdom and into the kingdom of God. I've been chosen before the foundation of the world. I've been predestined. I've been forgiven from the trespass. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been given a sound mind in the name of Jesus. I've been given the Holy Spirit as a free gift. I've been adopted into God's family. I've been justified freely. Just a few more. This feels good, the anointing. Great, giving great perilous promise. I've been given ministry of reconciliation. I've given authority over the power of the enemy. I have access to God. I don't know if you know, but as a son of God, you have access to God. Come on, let's give God a huge shout in this place. Yeah, Jesus, we worship you. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Father, this morning, I thank you. You know the hearts and the mind and even the emotions of every person in this room. Father, I thank you that you call us yours. This morning, we choose you. Father, for anyone in this room who doesn't know you, I just pray that you would prompt and convict through the anointing of the person of the Holy Spirit. In this place right now, I just pray, just with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're in this room, Paul wrote in Romans, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you make a confession with your mouth, then you will be saved. If you're in this room and you do not know Jesus, you do not know that you have a relationship with Jesus and would say, hey, I'm probably not a follower of Jesus or a Christian. And you're saying, today's the day I, I want to accept Jesus into my heart. The Bible says from the moment that you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. You can do this at home. You can do it in your bedroom. You can do it with a friend. But if you're here this morning and you just feel something in your heart, I want to tell you, it's God through the person of the Holy Spirit leading you to this moment. And if you're in here right now and you would say, Pastor, that's me. I want to invite Jesus. I've been going the wrong way. I want to turn my life around. And today's the day I want to accept him. I need help. I need a savior. I want Jesus. If that's you, I'm going to count of three. You just shoot your hand up high. Every eye is closed in this round. No one, room, no one's looking around. One, friend, he loves you so much. Two, the Bible says that God so loved you the world that he gave his only son. God paid the ultimate price of giving his son so that in this moment you could choose him and walk with him forevermore. Three, if you're in this room and that's you, you'd shoot your hand up high. You're saying, today's the day I want to invite Jesus into my heart. In this room right now, I'm just looking around. Anyone in this room, you're just saying, today's the day, the first day, the best day of your life. Just looking around. Well, Father, you know everyone in this room. I see my friend down here with his hand up. Father, I just thank you, Lord Jesus. You know the hearts of every man, woman, and child in this room. Father, I just thank you for this morning that you call us sons and daughters. Father, I thank you that that right there buys us everything that you have. 
Father, we decide today to come running after you. Lord, I just thank you right now for this timely reminder that we are not who the world says we are, that we are who you say we are. Father, as we walk into Christmas, we walk into October, November, December, Lord, as we go into 2021, I thank you that the best years are ahead for individually people in this church, but also this community touching the heart of surface paradise and beyond. God, we just bless you. We love you. Come on, let's give him a huge round of applause in this place.